0: At the way we, we tend to go through books of the Bible verse by verse, and that's the way we make our way through, through uh, Scripture, typically. Sometimes we do subject um, sermon series, but most of the time we go verse by verse through it. And the reason we do that is because um, if, if it was left up to us to just pick what we got to choose to preach, um, there's a lot of texts that many times would not get talked about. And so today happens to be one of those texts. Um, and it's not that I don't think it's important because we believe that all Scripture is God-free and profitable. 2 Timothy 3.16. I, I believe that. I don't think that there is something about this that is not worthwhile. However, if given the choice, I would not talk about this text. <laughs> there would be a lot of other ones that I would choose. So, <clears throat> bear with me as we go through this. Um, and and just really... I don't know how to say this. I, I just ask you to be... Uh, Consider and understanding that this is a, is a different type of text than you're used to hearing it, preach from, and really listen for what God has to say to you through it. So last week um, we heard Paul. Uh, he, he started talking to the Galatians and in a little bit of frustrated tones. That Paul is, uh, is was a tad bit frustrated with them because he had come to them and, and they had been in their pagan worship, their pagan idolatry, and he had come to them and preached the gospel. And they had come to know God, or rather, as he said, rather God came to know them. And they were going back, this turning back to the law was in the same same boat as their pagan idolatry. That their following of the Jewish traditions and law fell under the exact same kind of idol worship as them worshiping idols in there and sacrificing to their pagan gods. And he he gets so frustrated to the point where he, he even says... You know, I think I did all of what I did for you guys in vain. That everything I preached to you guys, everything I taught you guys, I might as well not have done it at all. And I told you guys last week to, to bear with him through that because those were, those were hard words to bring. Those were difficult things to hear. But Paul does all of those things that, that he says, all those things he does, he does out of a heart of love and care and concern for the churches in Galatia. And as we get in today's sermon text, you're going to see Paul's heart and Paul's concern and Paul's love for the church in Galatia. You're going to begin to see that his frustration came out of his heart as a pastor and as a shepherd for the churches there. Um, And what really makes this this a different type of sermon is that this sermon particularly deals with pastors and their relationship with the people in the church. Ministers and their relationship with to the lay people. And, uh, so, so as I continue to go through this, I ask that, that you recognize I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not lifting anybody up. What I'm doing is giving scriptural evidence and a basis for what a good, biblical, solid relationship between the pastor, the minister, and his people really looks like. Now, as we, uh, begin to think about Paul as a pastor to these churches in Galatia, I think it's important that we spend some time really looking at his previous relationship with the church in Galatia, why he felt he had the ability to write them this letter and say these things. And, and you see him plant these churches, really, start these churches, um, and, and see their beginnings in Acts 14. Um, and then we're going to start there real quick, and I just want to kind of give you some background, maybe some better understanding into Paul's thoughts and his insights into the church as he really writes to them. So we're going to be starting in first um, 1 in chapter 14 of Acts. And this is Paul and Barnabas that it's speaking of. Um, it says, Now at Iconium, which is a city in Galatia, the country of Galatia, at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, Lystra and Derby are other cities in Galatia, just so you know. Um, but the, the next section is really going to talk about their time in Lystra, at the end of their time in Lystra. And when Paul and Barnabas got to Lystra, Paul actually heals a crippled man. Um, and what happens is, is that after his healing, all the people around him begin to worship him and Barnabas as gods. That they call uh, Barnabas Zeus and him Hermes. And then they, they begin to worship him, so they, they then have to correct the whole teaching there that goes on there. But this is what happens, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. This is where what happens at the end of their time in, in Lystra. Um, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, so those ones that were there previously before that were talked about in the, in the first section of Scripture. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the beginnings of the church in Galatia. I mean, Paul, I I think it's pretty obvious, Paul cared very deeply for these people. I mean, he gave his life almost multiple times for these people. Just a small aside, I think that's one of the funniest stories in in Scripture is that they pull him out and they think he's dead, the disciples walk up and Paul just gets up and just like walks on. I just think that's humorous. But anyways, Paul... I mean, he he had given his life to these people. He had given his safety, his security, his freedom, everything that these people might know what the gospel was. To the extent of coming back after he had been stoned to these people to continue strengthening them in the gospel. and, And that they may know who Jesus really was. So, as we get into our text really today for Galatians... Remember that. Understand the background of what Paul is is teaching them um, all the way through Galatia, all the way to where we're at, and and hear his words as he teaches them and and talks to them as a pastor who had given up his life for these people. This is what he says in Galatians 4. We're going to start in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. They want to shut you out, that you may make that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now, as you read this text, and it, just in the very first. Sentence that you get to, it it automatically poses a question, and it it poses a question in my mind. I would guess it poses a question in your mind. What does Paul really mean when he says, "Become as I am, for I have become as you are"? The crazy thing is, is that all throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has spent his time saying that you don't need to be a Jew. He's telling these Gentiles over and over again, you don't need to be a Jew, you don't need to follow the Jewish traditions, you don't need to do these things extra to be a Christian. But then he says here, become like me. And just for reference, he was a Jew. So this seems a little bit counterintuitive to what he's really been going at, right? I mean, he says, don't don't be like me, but be like me. Um, So I I think we have to recognize that he he must be saying something completely different here when he says that. And I think verse 19, at the very end, really points, he he kind of restates what he, he is saying there in the beginning. And this is what he says. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is really what he's trying to get at when he says, become like me. He says that he wants them to to be formed in the image of Christ. To to live and bear and reflect the spirit and image of Christ that is in both of them. If they're Christians. And that's really what he's, he's getting at. Now, this also bears the question, what... What does it look like to have Christ formed in you? Um, now, Paul here, and this is this is really just kind of crazy, Paul here gives himself as an example. He says, Become like me. I want you to be formed in the image of Christ. Become like me. Now he this is a this is a I mean a pretty bold statement to make, I think. Uh and he says it again in, in a different letter, but he kind of restates this whole idea and this whole thought. Um, in a different section of Scripture when he is writing a letter to the Church of Corinth. I'm going to read that to you. Um, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, it starts in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Here in these verses in Galatians, Paul really is is giving us a key, giving us an understanding, a principle of what it looks like to be a life-changing minister of the gospel. He he is really giving us probably the most important and and the most effective way to share the gospel with people as we bring it to them. And Paul says in, in short terms that we must be missional. Now, I know the term missional is kind of a trendy word now for churches, that we need to be a missional church. That we need to be uh, missional in our outreach. It's, it's one of our core values. If you walk in, it's on the sign. But lots of times, even though you understand the word and you understand definitionally what it is, which, which is to be a missionary in every in any and every context with, with the gospel, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense practically sometimes. But Paul here, when he is speaking in Corinthians and when he's speaking in Galatians here, He is giving us the most practical insight to what it looks like to be a missional minister of the gospel. And I think it's important here to also recognize that Paul here wasn't being manipulative. He wasn't saying to be sly or crafty or manipulate himself in some way, shape, or form so as to make people trust him or like him or believe him. But what he is saying, and this is probably the most important principle for us as ministers, and especially for pastors and leaders, that being missional means meeting people where they're at. That's what it means. It means to meet people where they're at. I mean, look at it. It says that he not only only did he become a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greeks, but he became weak to those who were weak. That at some level, Paul decided that Nothing else really mattered that those other little things were not an issue. What mattered was the gospel above all. And he was going to hold firm to the gospel and hold solid to the gospel. And he was going to understand everything else about that person at the deepest level so that he could share with them the gospel. He didn't lose his authenticity in who he was. He didn't lose his personality. He didn't lose any of that. But what it says is that he he literally met these people where they were at. That at their deepest level, he understood their pains, he understood their strengths, he understood their weaknesses, he understood their sins, he understood their questions. The pole was inside their head to some extent. And what he found most important was the gospel. Not those little things that he enjoyed doing. Not those things that he made up his life doing. But what what he made his life about was the gospel. And all those other things could, could be changed to whatever extent was necessary so that some might be saved. And, and this is really what Paul is getting at when he's, when he's writing this letter here. Now, I, I don't want you to forget here that Paul is calling them to change. He's not okay with them being where they're at. He's not okay with them being comfortable in where they're at. He said He's telling them, become as I am. I mean, he's calling them to change. To, to leave them where they're at is just as unloving as calling somebody to change and not telling them how to do it. Telling them that you're not going to help them at all. I I would I would to give an example and explain what it looks like to be missional, what it looks like to meet people where they're at and to be a good minister of the gospel. Because at some level you and I are all ministers of the gospel. But this isn't just for pastors in understanding this principle, that you and I are called to be missional missionaries with the gospel in any and every context we live in. And so to give an example, and this is imperfect, and so Don't call me out on the the parts that are probably not great, because there are, I know. Um, But think of it as something like mountain climbing. And that you as the leader, as the minister, you understand how to get up that trail, how to get up that mountain, how to get to the other side of the treacherous path, whatever you want to call it, the very best way. And there's people down there below us, there's people behind us that need to come where we're at. And so we really have three choices to make. We can, one, we can go and meet them where they are. So we go back and we we, we understand where they're at. We, we understand where they need to go, but we do nothing. This is, I mean, this is just completely counterintuitive to anything we want to do. But we, we get there, we understand who they are. We understand where they need to go, the things they need to do to get to where you are at when you do nothing. And you just relate to them, and you understand them. You enjoy them where they're at, and that's it. Another choice we have would be to stand up there where you're at at the top of the cliff, look down at the people, and yell at them that they need to come up where you're at, and then do nothing else. That you yell at them that they need to change, they need to be where you're at, because there's something terrible coming behind them, a rabid wolf, whatever you want to call it. Is coming up behind them, and they need to get up where you're at. But all you do is just say, You need to be here, and, and that's about it. You just need to model your life after me and, and be here. And that's just like calling people to change and just saying that you need to make your life exactly like my life because my life is perfect and my life is great. But I'm not going to help you get here, you just need to be here, and that's about it. You become so emotionally detached there's some kind of arrogance and pride in that, that everybody should be able to get to where you're at. Paul here, and to give a small aside, this most of the time is where we see the majority of leaders and ministers and ourselves when we are leading people through life change, when we're sharing with them the gospel. Too often we see people who come down and they meet people where they're at and at some level become codependent. That they need to experience the pain, and they need to experience the misery, and they need to experience the shame and the guilt that this person is experiencing. They need to understand everything they're going through in order to really feel like they're ministering, and it never gets them anywhere. All they've done is relate to somebody. They haven't actually brought them any kind of life change. And in fact, what they've done is brought themselves to a lower level of life and not done anything. They've hurt both of themselves. That's all that does. And too often, we see people... I'm not calling anybody out Don't hear me calling anybody out But we see people that stand up on stage And they say, you need to change your life You need to live a godly life You need to live a perfect life And that's about all they say They just leave you where you're at There's no love, there's no care, there's no compassion All they care about is that you look just like them they don't care how you get there, whether it takes you through a billion hurts and a billion pains. They just, you need to be where I'm at. And they don't care about anything else. And what Paul here is calling us to, what it means to be a Christian, what's awesome about the gospel for us as ministers of the gospel, what is the, the greatest thing in the world for us, is that we can be both humble in our approach and confident at the same time. That the gospel producing, produces in us A humble confidence. The third way, the third path that you can take, the third choice that you have to get somebody up the mountain is that we can humble ourselves to the point of understanding where people are at. And we can relate to them because at some level, we're sinners too. That you and I experience at some level the same sin and pain and shame and guilt that everybody else has. And so we can humble ourselves to the point of relating to people. We can understand them. We can understand their thoughts, their feelings, because we've been there. That as Christians, as mature Christians, as leaders, as ministers of the gospel, we understand people who don't know Jesus, where they're at, because we were there. And not only can we humble ourselves to understanding them and relating with them, but we can be confident in the fact that Jesus forgives all of our sins in the cross and the gospel. That we can be confident and boldly go with the word of God and the, the truth of the gospel in, in bringing change to people's lives. That we can both humbly relate to them and confidently preach to them the gospel. That is the beauty of a Christian life. Being a Christian missional minister it does not mean emotionally detaching or becoming so emotionally attached that we can't succeed in either way. But in But humbly and confidently bring the gospel to people so that we can see life change. And that's what Paul is calling them to. Tim Keller said it best that as a Christian in the gospel, we can feel both like wretched sinners and a million bucks all at the same time. See, the only only way Paul can call people to be like him, because he has become also like they were. See, the only way he can do it is in the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that we have a confidence in our humility. I mean, there's there's something crazy about that. And, and Paul says that they need to be formed in the image of Christ, that they need to become like him and formed in the image of Christ, because Jesus did the exact same thing. That Jesus existed in preeminence in glory and honor and praise in heaven. And Jesus and God called us to, to perfection. In Leviticus it says, be holy for I am holy. He calls us to that. But Jesus doesn't stay up there. God didn't stay up in heaven, didn't stay there and just call us to be as he was. And leave us to our own devices. But he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and took on flesh. And he understood our pains and our weaknesses and our temptations and everything there is to know about us. He came to understand us and relate with us even to the point of experiencing death like us. He didn't have to do any of that, but he counted it as nothing in order that we might understand the gospel, that Jesus came and took on flesh and became that person. And not only did he relate to us, but he rose again and went back up into heaven and left us away and left us the Spirit so that we could come to know him and be like him. That in Christ... We have the same standing and the same righteousness and the same place as Jesus at the right hand of God. And he came to make us like him. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul is calling the Galatians to be. That's what he said. We have to be missional. In order to be missional, we have to account our styles, our thoughts, things that make us up as as. Something that is not as important as the gospel. I wish there was a better way I could just say that because I could have
1: been a whole lot better.
0: But, but that there is, we have to count everything in our lives as less than the gospel. Uh-huh. All that matters is bringing that to people. Uh-huh. Jesus accounted, he made himself nothing, Philippians 2 says, in order that he might become like us, to share with us the truth of the gospel. And give us a way to become like him. And that is what Paul is calling the people to. He's saying those other things don't matter. The traditions, the law, they don't matter. The festivals, the holidays, being like a Jew doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel. I've shown you this. I've told you this. You've experienced this. The gospel is what matters. Those other things don't. Become like me. Become free in the fact that you are allowed to live in Christ Free from all of the different traditions and things that you have to do in order to be saved like the Jews say. Now, so far, this has been, I've tried to make this as practical as possible for for everyone. That we are all ministers of the gospel. And that we all must live missionally. We are called to become like a Jew so that we might win the Jews and become like a Greek one outside of the law so that we might win some that are outside of the law become weak so that we could win the weak that's what we're called to be like just like Paul like Jesus we're called to be like that but in order to be true to the text I need to take a step back and we really need to focus on what it looks like for a pastor and his people now this text isn't very explanatory in the sense that Paul just comes right out and tells you what a good pastor looks like. And it's not explanatory in the sense that he doesn't come right out and say this is what the people of the church should be to the the pastor. But principally, we can see that Paul, who says he is working to be formed in the image of Christ, is also working to be a good pastor. And so we can principally, in principle, pull out some good, Good thoughts and good things to think about when it comes to understanding the relationship between the pastor and his people in the church. What it looks like for him to lead them through life change. What it looks like for him to interact and and relate to his people in the church. And what comes first of all, when a pastor and a minister call people to change, he isn't looking to boost his own reputation and glory, but God's. In verses 17 through 19, this is what Paul says in the text we read, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. Paul explains that the people, the Judaizers that had come in and explained that they needed the law as well, weren't really there to bring glory to God, but rather glory to themselves. They were they were more concerned with getting converts They were more concerned with their own reputation so they could go back to the Jewish leaders and be like, look how many people I converted. Look how many Najas I got on my belt. That's what they were about. And Paul says that's that's not what it is about. The only time you should be making much of somebody, and he points to himself, is when they're imitating Christ. Because in that, God gets the glory. Uh, the, the, the Judaizers were even going to the point of, of saying that if you didn't believe what we did, if you didn't go along with what we were teaching, that they were going to shut them out, exclude people. Um, and the whole Judaizer thought, it, it reminds me of uh, John five forty four. This is Jesus talking. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The point of a pastor in calling people to change The point of a pastor in in speaking to his people is to bring glory not to himself, but glory to God. And just to connect this back to the last point, when you and I are missional and we are living in such a way so as we can share the gospel with as many people as possible, that's bringing the most glory to God. But it's not about us and our reputation, obviously, because we don't care about that, we care most about the gospel. And that is what brings glory to God. Because the gospel, in the gospel, God is the most magnified, God is the most glorified. His reputation is boosted the most, His praise is given the most, honor is bestowed on Him, on him the most. And it is all about God. That is that is the gospel. And when we share the gospel and we live missionally, we are bringing the most glory we can to God. In the gospel, we see the most magnified view of God's love and His grace and His judgment and His wrath, His beauty, His righteousness and His worth. The gospel is the greatest picture of God's glory that this world will ever know until His return. And the sad thing is is that many times when pastors bring us a call to change our life, many times when we hear the gospel come into our life through ministers in our lives, Paul says that, principally, shows us that the pastor's call to change is difficult, and at times it's resisted. Uh, In verses 13 through 16, Paul is reiterating and recounting the last time he came and preached to them, how they considered it such a blessing that he was there, that God had given them the grace to understand why he was there, and they had accepted him and and counted as everything else as not problem. All they cared about was the fact that Jesus, that Paul had come to preach Jesus. And Paul here, the first thing he says, right after he, he calls them to change, one of the first things he says is, uh, am I now your enemy? I mean, He immediately anticipated some kind of anger and resistance to him bringing them a call to change. That's the first thing he says. And, and I think this point's This points so clearly to the fact that we need ministers and we need pastors and we need people ahead of us in the faith telling us truth and calling us to the gospel and calling us to change our lives in light of gospel and Jesus. Because too often when people do, we think so much of ourselves that we immediately become angry and defensive. That we think so much of ourselves that when people do call us to change, we don't accept it well. We don't take it well. We don't like it very much. It's a hard thing to swallow, and typically we justify the majority of our actions with some kind of godly attribute. But the, the reality is, is that when when the pastor is bringing the word of God, that when people minister to you truth, accept it humbly and graciously. But too often we think too much of ourselves, and we need people in our lives to tell us those things, to call us on those things, to keep us accountable. That's why we need community. That's why you need to be living in community. You and I too often find ourselves to be victims. That we do what we do because of our culture and our society and how we were raised and everything that went on around us. But the the truth of the matter is is that it doesn't really matter. What matters is that Jesus comes into our life and, and changes us. And that we're humble enough to accept any kind of critique or truth that's given to us. And that's that's really what Paul is calling them to. But the, the way that Paul calls them, and this is probably the most important thing to get here, that when Paul calls them, he doesn't do it in an angry sense or emotionally detached or just wanting to rant and rave. But when a pastor calls people to change, he does so with care and compassion and concern. Paul says here at the end of his passage that he is in the pains of childbirth for these people in Galatians to be formed in the image of Christ. That many times when a pastor brings truth and the people resist, it brings with it heartache and pain. And it's not like they're happy that everybody's angry at them. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I seriously doubt the majority of us enjoy People being upset with us. And that's not why they bring it. It's to bring glory to God, not to themselves. It's not about you and I. It's about God. It's about Jesus. But when they bring it, they bring it with care and compassion and concern. The Paul was in pain. I've never experienced childbirth, nor will I ever. And I'm not claiming to. But Paul says... And from what I understand, it's a very painful thing. And Paul says that he is in the pains of childbirth for these people. That his heart hurts. And he hurts to such an extent for these people to be formed into the image of Christ. And that's what a pastor brings a call to change with. And that's something important for us to understand as people of the way. That as Seth and Brent... As they bring change, as they bring a call to change, as as people bring truth into our lives. It's done so with love and care and concern. It's done so with prayer and thought. It's not done so flippantly. It's not done so uncaringly. With no thought of you involved but themselves. It's not that. It's about you being formed in the image of Christ. It's about us understanding the gospel. It's about us living missionally with each other. And when we are brought truth, whether that be from the pulpit, whether that be from community groups, whether that be from one-on-one ministry, discipleship, whatever it is. You and I should should bring it with love, care, and concern, but know also that the people in your lives that are calling you to it, typically, at least from the pastors the leaders here are going to come from heart, should come from a heart of love and compassion and concern for you and your welfare. They want the best for you. They aren't trying to anger us or attack us. What they want is the best for us. And that's to be formed in the image of Jesus to the Lord of God. Now, in saying that, this is my last point, real quick. People are going to fail you. That as pastors and leaders and ministers bring change and a call to change in our lives, they're not calling you to follow them, they're calling you to follow Jesus, who is the great minister. That Jesus is the head of the church. And that as people lead this church, as people lead in your life, it all comes down, trickles down from the headship and authority of Christ who is willing to submit himself to the authority of God. Hebrews says that, that we're to submit ourselves to the authority of the, the elders that are put in place in the church so that they won't do it with groaning and complaining. we we'll recognize that it all comes from Jesus. And that we're submitting to Christ as we submit to the authority here of the church. And we should be grateful and thankful that God has put in place people who will look over us and watch over us for our good and God's glory. That we might be formed in the image of Jesus to such an extent that they're in pain for us. We need to recognize that, remember that, and think of that as people call you to change, as pastors from this church call you to change, as people in your life call you to change. In light of the gospel, remember that it comes from Jesus. It's because of Jesus that it's for him and it's for him.
1: Um,
0: I'm going to have Seth come up here. He's going to say, I mean, Seth's going to come up here and he's going to say a few words that he wants to say to the church.
1: I uh, was really thankful that Matt got to be the one to preach this because. It actually works a little better coming from someone that's not the pastor to sit and talk (laughs) about how the people and the pastor should relate. Um, Because, you know, if I'm saying it, it might even come across as being selfish. Uh, But if someone else says it, and he, you know, he's my minion, so he he doesn't have it. I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. That's so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. It, it's, it's just a different perspective. But I did not want to pass up this great opportunity to talk to you from my heart. Even in something like a trip to Guatemala. I do that with you guys in mind. In the past four years, I've seen my wife sacrifice. I've seen my children sacrifice I have felt the weight of ministry. And some of you, have, most of you have not been here the entire four years. I understand that. But even for those of you that have been here just in months, know I love you. And I want the brightness and the beauty of Christ to shine from you. Amen. I I don't want to stand before you And act as some man Who doesn't understand the pains And the problems of your life There are not many things That I haven't experienced And and many of them my own Stupid, idiotic decisions But I can tell you There is no greater answer Than our Lord Jesus Christ And I do not want for you the pains and the problems and the baggage and the consequences of life that come from our stupid, self-centered decisions. So learn from me. Even as I consider as I stand before you as, as a pastor thinking about bringing someone else to stand before you as a pastor and, and we looked to, to bring Brent on as an elder in the church, No. It won't happen if we don't see a great love from him for this people. It won't happen if he doesn't sit before men who love their people and want Christ to be formed in their people if they can't see it in him. I think it's evident. I think it's evident for us that sit here. But trust me, it will be tested and it will be proven. That even as we bring other pastors on, that, that's, that's the way it will always be. Uh, I wouldn't uh, let Max <laughs> stand before you because I love you. <laughs> I wouldn't let Max stand before you and bring a message if I didn't think he cared about you. Yeah. Yeah. In this,
0: in, 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 at the beginning of the year,
1: I told you, I challenged you to several things. Things that I wanted to see in our church. And I expect to see those those things happen in our church. I expect you to be sharing your faith. I challenge you to, to lead people to the Lord. I challenge you to give your life more to God in this year than you have ever before. In your time, in your treasure, and in your talents. But not... Because I want you to have less in this world Or not because I want you to To have less time to sit and relax Or not simply because I want you to just be busy all the time I want you To be growing in Jesus Christ And if there was Any lesson I have ever learned On a mission trip It was reaffirmed this week As I sat in Guatemala and I watched People who had never left the country Who had never, never done much beyond go to work go to church on Sunday and hang out with their friends and community group as they took a step of faith and they saw God begin to work they recognized that their life had not been lived in faith they recognized that they lived very comfortable controlled lives until the moment that they stepped out and submitted under someone else's plan and gave themselves to someone else's purpose and gave up complete control Uh that's the life of faith and that's the life I'm calling you to but not in me in Jesus Christ he won't let you down you won't be disappointed and I'm going to call you to that I'm going to challenge you to that and as Rick comes on as we finish uh, installing him as an elder as we finish this process with him that's what he's going to do as well not to be your enemy, not to stand against you, but because we want the best for you. We want the best for our church. We want the best, not even for ourselves, but for God. Who saved us, who loved us, and Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us. That's all I have to say. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you're gracious, you're loving we recognize that we are unworthy of that. We recognize that our value our really is tied up in who you are and what you have been. I pray, God. I pray that through your spirit, you would would you just embolden us that you would give us strength and courage to face the days that we have. Father, I, I I pray especially right now for our church. I know that there's people aren't here today that, that aren't hearing these words, God, but that you would instill in us culture. It's not afraid to submit to authority. It's not afraid to follow someone else's plan or, or give ourselves to some other purpose. But not just any. Of us. And not, not, not just anything that just comes blowing across the, the tops of the trees, that, that we wouldn't just be blown around like reeds in the wind, but that we would be given wholly and completely to your plans and to your purpose, that you would fill us. You would move among us. Father, that you would give wisdom to the leaders of this church to lead with compassion and grace. As we bring truth and call people to righteousness, Father, that you would give courage to the people of the church who are following these leaders to recognize that there are times that we need to let go of our own selfish perspectives to to continue to grow up in you. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name.